0: Welcome to the Pilot Checkride Podcast. I'm your host and designated pilot examiner, Stuart Corey. Episode 1 starts now.
1: 5,000.
0: Hey, yeah, okay. c so. Captain speaking. We're uh, just about buttoned up, pushing back for an on-time departure. As a reminder, the seatbelt sign is on. Welcome aboard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 1 of the Pilot Checkride Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host and designated pilot examiner, Stuart Corey. Really excited to get this uh, first podcast episode off the ground, no pun intended. And thank you again for, for joining me. Obviously, we are going to talk all things check rides on this uh, podcast, all the way from private through ATP, any additional add on ratings, multi engine, uh, instrument instructor, anything that has to do with check rides. But on top of that, we're going to continue to discuss a wide range of topics because although check rides are our focus here, we're really going to discuss general aviation, obviously, training and the testing that's associated with with the training along our way, and then of course, fold into uh, anything that has to do with the aviation, the topic of safety, and some best practices as we can apply them throughout our daily flight. So really, if you are getting ready for a check ride or have just taken a check ride or kind of going through multiple check rides in the process of training, obviously this is a great place for you to be, but I open this up to all pilots regardless of your flight experience and uh, level of experience. This is going to be a great place to stop and get some great information and tips, techniques, when it comes to just your next flight that you can apply that as you go out there, especially as we get into the summer months. And I expect a pretty busy busy future for flight training and uh, check rides, uh, regardless of where you're located. So today's episode, we're really going to focus on just a quick introduction of the podcast and my goals and hope is for the uh, podcast. Give you a little bit of background on myself. Not spend too much time on that, but just give you a, just a quick background on on uh, on me and as a designated examiner. And then we'll talk a little bit about the format of a check ride. Maybe discuss how the check ride will go. Especially for those new or have only taken one check ride or haven't taken a check ride just yet, this will be great information for you. But even if you have taken two, three, four check rides, I think you'll find all the way through this uh, podcast and multiple episodes in the future a uh, very helpful information. So again, just a minute or two on my background. I am a designated pilot examiner based in the Cleveland, Akron, Ohio area, Northeast Ohio, as it's sometimes referred to. Out of the Cleveland FISDO, every designated examiner is attached to a district office around the country. Been doing this for 20 years, believe it or not. Uh, That's pretty crazy. And um, have had just a great time doing so. More than anything, it's just been awesome to be able to meet so many different people, help them along the way, um, their journey in aviation, and uh, be a very small part of uh, keeping them uh, progressing along by... uh, conducting a check ride. So I've really had an awesome time doing this. Uh, My regular job, as most examiners uh, do have, is captain with United Airlines, currently a 737 captain based in Cleveland, Ohio. And I've been with uh, United Airlines for about 22 years or so. Um, And uh, love the job. It's great. And I guarantee you we will discuss the airline side of things uh, throughout some of these podcasts. So uh, bear with me if I do uh, sprinkle in or share a few of the uh, airline stories, but I think a lot of that is relevant in a lot of ways because uh, you don't uh, become an airline pilot without a lot of check rides and training along the way. And that's what we're going to plan on discussing uh, throughout the podcast series. Really had a great time, as I said, uh, as a designated examiner. uh, I travel a lot of different places in the Northeast Ohio region uh, conducting private through ATP and it's been awesome. So again, enough about me, let's get into uh, some of the things that are really impertinent when it comes to uh, check rides. And we're going to start off with just the basic format of a check ride. Now I know, stay with me, many of you that are out there that have already taken check rides or they're getting ready to take their second or third check ride or fourth or fifth. And this might be uh, information that you already know. But uh, for those that are just getting into the game, so to speak, and really trying to get um, into the aviation world and knowing what this whole checkride process is about, I thought I'd take a few minutes just to break down the fundamental and actually required parts of a checkride. And it begins with, of course, making the appointment for a checkride every examiner is a little different. As a matter of fact, I should probably preface not just this episode, but all episodes going forward and saying just that. All examiners are different. Those that have taken a few check rides with a couple of different examiners know exactly what I'm talking about. Just like when we meet people, whether it's in the business world or social world, everyone's got a little different personality, which allows them to do things a little bit differently. What's awesome and what's the bottom line is that all examiners are required to do certain things the same way. Number one, we're adhered to by regulations and handbook and by the Airman Certification Standards. Those are the items that we have to follow and make sure that we conduct the exam consistently, regardless where we're located in the country, regardless of who we're testing. So we'll talk a little bit about how that all breaks down. But the bottom line, I guess, is uh, yeah, every examiner is gonna be a little different. So the things that I say here, the things that we share, obviously will be my take, and there might be some obvious opinions and ways that things are done uh, in my check rides or even in this district that might be slightly different in other parts of the country. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing or that it's a uh, egregious uh, action where we're completely doing testing differently. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm looking at is, is just minor details. Um, some things are taken in as a technique versus an actual procedure. But we'll talk more about that as we move through various episodes of the podcast. We're gonna have a lot of interviews with not just flight instructors but also all of you listeners out there regarding their checkride experience and that'll really shed some light on the differences between examiners and again it uh, it's a good thing you really get a chance to uh, to get a different angle uh, when when possibly using different examiners as well so i certainly encourage it so moving on to the checkride process and the different parts of a checkride we were discussing the appointment phase. And the biggest takeaway from this is just making sure that not only you've confirmed the date and time, location, all the obvious items that you want anytime you're making an appointment, whether it's with a, a doctor's office or, or for your check ride, but also making sure that you've got all the information that's necessary. There's a list of all the things that you'd want. You can find that in a lot of different FA documents. You should have that from your recommending flight instructor, your flight instructor as well. But the examiner should also be providing you that list or give you some specifics to that actual checkride that he or she may want, uh, particularly when it comes to equipment or uh, any other items that are necessary for, uh, for that particular checkride. So just make sure that you've got all the information when you complete the, the appointment phase. If you don't, uh, I tell everybody just confirm. If you have any questions, give me a call. Give your examiner a call that you've made the appointment with just to make sure everything's in place. You certainly don't want any surprises. Your examiner doesn't want any surprises uh, the day of the actual check ride. Once the appointment phase is completed and it's actually the big day, your check ride, uh, It'll start off with obvious introductions, but the first required phase or item is the pre-test briefing. And during that point, the examiner's going to, first and foremost, check to make sure that you're eligible for the check ride. Clearly gonna make sure that the documents are in place, you've got your pilot certificate or student pilot certificate, photo ID, medical, all the things that you typically have been using throughout your flight training that you know that you're required to have anytime you fly the airplane. But all the other items, uh, that includes making sure that the aircraft is airworthy, the documents for the airplane are available, as well as the aircraft maintenance records are available to check the airworthiness status of the airplane that's gonna be used for the uh, check ride or for the flight portion in just a little bit after the oral. So they'll go through the application, the online process, which is known as IACRA. And again, I know a lot of you out there already know this. But that online process is really what the FAs put in place quite a number of years ago to eliminate errors and to also help streamline the process. It can be cumbersome at times, and I know some of you out there have probably had uh, a few uh, minutes or hours of uh, pulling your hair out the night before your check ride, trying to get that thing uh, uh, correct. But it, uh, it really has helped out over the years to make sure that uh, there's reduction in errors and has saved a lot of time. So when the examiner goes through all that, make sure that everything's in place and they've verified eligibility, you'll go ahead and sign your application electronically in IACRA and then the test begins. The test, as again, all of you, many of you know, uh, oral portion followed by a flight portion. The oral portion, by the way, is always required to be done first. I've had a lot of times You see some weather moving in that's unexpected and a lot of us wanna get the flight out of the way or i have even been asked, hey, can we just go ahead and do the flight now and then we'll do the ground portion or the oral portion after so that we know that we can uh, be assured that we get the flight in. But unfortunately, they uh, require us to do the oral portion first. So the oral portion, depending on the type of test, uh, can vary in length. It has a lot to do with not just the examiner, but also the type of test that's being taken, whether it's an initial CFI or private pilot or commercial checkride. They all slightly vary in their length of time. The examiner's gonna go through all that and when the oral portion is complete and it's time to go flying, uh, the next required item that the examiner has to go over is the pre-flight briefing. And during that portion, not only are they gonna talk about just the general format or profile as we call it, of the flight, how it's going to actually go down, where we're going to go and, and the different uh, steps of the, uh, of the flight. But we're also gonna cover a lot of the safety issues that uh, you may even include in, in your personal briefing before we actually take off, including the positive transfer controls, scanning of traffic. Uh, we're also gonna make sure that you've got the required equipment that you need. And finally, that it's emphasized you are pilot command for the flight. As PIC. You are always uh, considered pilot command for any flight during a check ride, regardless of its private or CFI, unless otherwise deemed or specified by the examiner. But uh, the default is that you will be PIC, and that just means you're in charge. I explained to everybody before we hop in the airplane or during that pre-flight briefing that uh, you make decisions as needed. You're the one that's in charge of the flight, and uh, making sure that everything's taken care of. Whether it's how do you want to get back into the traffic pattern, if you misunderstood an air traffic control clearance or instruction, you're the one that is needing to take care of that. Uh, that is part of demonstrating your skills as a, uh, as a pilot during that uh, during that test. So the flight itself, once we complete that briefing, takes about at least an hour. Uh, sometimes an hour and a half or more it just depends on how things flow and of course as I said earlier about the oral what type of flight it is whether it's private or CFI check ride, uh, that flight also may last a little longer depending on if we need to go to a specific practice area to do the maneuvers or we have to get out of a congested area uh, to get the clearing turns done and make sure that we're in a safe area away from other traffic and once we get back into the pattern, if it's busy and uh, it takes us a little longer to get through uh, the landing phase, for example, if the traffic pattern's busy. So it just depends, but it'll be at least an hour for that flight portion is uh, my common experience. And that's it. Once we're uh, done with the flight, we get back on the ground. Uh, we get to the last element or required item of the check ride, which is the post-flight briefing or debrief as it is sometimes referred to. And at that time, once we get inside, the examiner will go through explaining how the check ride went, but of course, we'll issue the final outcome, which will be one of three items. Any check ride concludes with only three potential items. The first one is a discontinuance or letter of discontinuance, and that just means we didn't finish it. Uh, typically, because of the weather, Uh, might have uh, gotten in the way to prevent us and prevented us from uh, getting all the flying in. Uh, Or there was a mechanical issue with the airplane that also prevented that as well. Uh, How that works is uh, you get credit for what we accomplished during the flight portion. And then the FAA gives us 60 days to complete the rest of uh, the flight um, before, um, before everything times out. So that would be a discontinuance. The second potential outcome is a notice of disapproval. And that just means something wasn't up to the Airman Certification Standards. Again, those guidelines that as examiners we use to evaluate your performance. If something was not satisfactory, uh, a uh, disapproval is issued. Again, not a huge deal, certainly not the outcome that we wanted, but I tell everyone the positive, which is we get credit for everything else that was completed satisfactorily or successfully. So if it's just one item or one maneuver that we need to complete, we'll come back another day and uh, complete just that item. Again, it has to be specified within a certain time frame. And it is at the discretion of the examiner, of course, doing the retest as well as to what specific items are covered again, as well as any additional items that uh, he or she, that examiner may want to see. And then finally, the last potential outcome for any check ride that's going to be handled during that uh, post-flight briefing is issuing the temporary pilot certificate for that certificate or rating if it's uh, adding a rating. And of course, that's the outcome that we all want, including the examiner. I speak for all examiners. We want you to pass. Uh, that is obvious outcome that uh, we'd all like to have. So after the issuance of one of those three items. And again, we're shooting for the uh, temporary certificate. They'll go through some additional paperwork, uh, sign your logbook, make sure that uh, everything is completed in the IACRA, which is again, that online application system. And then of course, just a general debrief. Uh, They'll cover items that went really well, items that we could have done better. And some of that will be detailed, uh, specific items during the flight that were worth mentioning. Uh, pointing out different tips as well uh, that you can carry with you down the road, as well as just an overall or general thought or idea about your flight performance and uh, the checkride itself. So that really wraps up the checkride process and breaks down the required elements, as I said, of what you can expect. So hopefully that sheds some light on the process for many of you out there. As I said, whether you've taken... uh, Many check rides, or uh, you're still looking to get that check ride in. So hopefully that'll help. And before we move away from this topic on the format of the check ride, maybe just a fun fact or something you might not have known. I get a question a lot as to whether or not I can have somebody ride along with me. For example, can my flight instructor ride with me uh, on the uh, on the check ride, or can they even sit in on the on the oral portion? And the answer to that question is no. Years ago, we were able to allow instructors, uh, which was really nice. Uh, we have instructors sit in on the, uh, on the oral portion and even ride along, um, and I actually encouraged it. Uh, but uh, a number of years ago, they changed that to, no one can uh, be sitting in on the check ride, whether it's the oral or the flight portion unless it is an FAA inspector, or it's an approved by the FAA inspector or administrator. So just something to pass along in case anybody was wondering out there. By the way, I guess I did have someone else, but it was the applicant's dog sit in on the check ride. Not in the oral portion, but uh, the guy flew into uh, my local airport for his uh, check ride. And he brought his dog with him because anytime he flew his airplane, um, from his little hometown airport, his dog ran, uh, rode along with him. And so, uh, I really didn't see that was an issue as long as the dog was used to it. And, uh, although the seats were kind of covered in hair, uh, the dog sat back there in the back seat and, uh, rode along with us and had, had no issues. I don't think the dog was even passing along any, uh, tips or, uh, or hints to um, his owner, the guy taking the check ride. So anyway, uh, you never know um, what, uh, what's going to happen, but I, uh, I do remember that particular check ride. So one of the things I want to do consistently on every podcast episode is take some questions, uh, have you guys email or call in uh, with uh, a question or even a comment, whether it's a, a checkride question, maybe uh, an airline question, career, anything in aviation that uh, you'd like me to, uh, to hit on or, or answer for you, please feel free to send that out to, uh, to me. Best way is probably my email address, first name stuart at pilotcheckride.com. We're also going to have some links that you can use your, uh, your phone to call and leave a voicemail as well uh, to submit those questions. I just think that, especially for many of you that have been hanging around airports or doing your flight training, there's no better forum uh, than something like this to be able to share information. We bounce stuff off of everybody all the time. And uh, I'm always learning. I tell everyone the same thing. I'm always learning. Yes, I'm the examiner, but uh, I ask a lot of questions too. I always uh, am interested in, in learning something and continuing to uh, to do that. So. Hanging around an airport, we get a lot of uh, conversation and questions answered, and this venue is no uh, no different. So we're going to make sure that's a, uh, a consistent part of the uh, podcast, and I really need your help uh, to make sure that you guys are sending in any questions or comments that you want addressed um, as we move forward. So our first question comes from a CFI in the Akron, Cleveland area, Justin. He calls in with a uh, topic or a question regarding stalls. And it might be a little bit more slanted on the uh, CFI side, but I certainly think that all of this information, all the questions, all the items that we're gonna be covering here apply to all of us. We can all gather some really great information. So let's hear what Justin has to ask, and then we will uh, talk a little bit more about it.
1: Hi, Stuart, this is Justin Stiglitz. It seems like almost every students, particularly uh, private pilot students, are scared of stalls. And I think that partially this might be because we teach them to be scary. Um, Certainly, you know, you feel like you're falling out of the sky, but we tell them stay coordinated, which a lot of students, private students particularly, probably don't fully understand or comprehend what that means. Um, We say, you know, this can kill you, so don't stall the airplane, it'll kill you. Uh, and and things like that that can just make them scary. And certainly they are a scary maneuver for somebody who's not used to an airplane flying slightly outside the norm of of the envelope that it's designed to fly in. So while stalls certainly can kill us, and it's important that we teach that, can you think of maybe another approach or maybe do you have a suggestion for a better way that we could teach stalls that would still teach the importance of them and convey that message, but maybe wouldn't unnecessarily create a fear around stalls or performing stalls properly. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you so much for taking my questions and, and for doing this podcast. Talk to you soon.
0: So a great question. And thank you, Justin, for uh, calling in and uh, contributing that it's a huge topic. Uh, I think that stalls, because they're such a, not only important part, but required part of all check rides and flight training. It does have uh, a certain negative stigma to it or a connotation to it. Uh, As Justin said, it it can be a little overwhelming and daunting for the students, especially the primary students, those out there that uh, are listening, they're learning to fly. But it's really important to make sure that, especially with the flight instructor on board and being introduced to stalls, that everything's going to go just fine. This is a controlled environment, uh, certainly nothing that's uh, being done in an area or in a altitude or position where we're going to have a negative outcome. Uh, the whole idea is to be able to recognize stalls, recognize the flight characteristics of stalls, and if it does get to that point outside into that flight envelope, we know how to recover uh, from a stall. So depending on the check ride, uh, stalls are conducted at different different stages and different types of stalls, whether they're uh, power on, power off, uh, full stalls, imminent stalls, departure stalls. There's just a ton of different ways that we can not only perform those, but that they're taught uh, during your flight training. Really take a common sense approach to it. As a fly- long-time flight instructor as well, lots of students along the way that have been as we said, apprehensive about the stall and uh, what is going to really happen. And I think the bottom line in using that common sense is just making sure that the stall experience is introduced uh, slowly, gently, and with nothing but assurance that a positive outcome is always going to happen. And if we can, as instructors out there, make sure that, that is implemented, I think most students are still gonna come away with um, a, a good feeling about it. So, you know, one of the things, you know, we, we try to avoid the language. You know, we try to avoid the negative language of this will make you die, you know, or this will kill you, I should say, or, or this is something that's, uh, that can really get away from you or, uh, or hurt you. Uh, again, as Justin said, those are all, those are all true But as flight instructors, we need to make sure that we phrase things properly. It's kind of like when I'm sitting at the gate at the airline, and I know I'm going to a destination where um, it is surrounded by thunderstorms. Um, Depending on the forecast, they may be moving in. They still may be concentrated at at our destination airport upon the time of arrival. But when I grab the PA microphone to welcome the folks on board uh i'm not going to say there's severe thunderstorms at our destination in fort lauderdale and you better hold on for dear life Uh, obviously uh, i'm going to use language like there are some rain showers in the vicinity of uh, our destination and we will keep you posted so being able to term things and properly as cfis that that also helps and i think uh Students are aware of that. That's not we're not hiding anything or, or being deceitful in any way. We're just making sure that the emotional or mental portion of that is taken away uh, negatively. That negative uh, connotation is taken away as much as possible. So we do our best to try and make sure that the that that is done. And then the actual training of the stalls should be a very gradual. Uh, just just getting into slow flight and transitioning from slow flight to imminent stalls or very slow stalls and then recovering and then back into slow flight and then imminent stalls. Really just um, flying on the cusp of a stall, VMC uh, as it's called, Uh, MCA I should say, as it's called to making sure that uh, they're getting more and more comfortable because just like anything, more experience, more comfort level and uh, less surprises. So being able to feel and understand the flight characteristics of our airplane I mean, we've got a heavier-than-air machine out there that uh, will definitely fall out of the sky um, if not properly uh, managed or taken care of. But a great discussion, and thank you again, Justin, for calling that in. These are the types of uh, topics that we really want to cover, and I'm interested to get your feedback on this specific topic. The best way to handle stalls or training stalls and get our student perspective as well. Those that have already received their private pilot certificate, commercial, whatever it is, let me know what some of your instructors might have done along the way to assist in the anxiety or fear of uh, stalls or the training of stalls and performing those. Uh, Really covered some great information and I look forward to more and more of these as we move forward. So send in those ideas. But thank you again, Justin. We'll have more of that uh, type of discussion to come. Well, that's going to do it for episode one. Thank you again for joining me. I thought we covered uh, some great information and really looking forward to future episodes. Please check back with us. Next episode should be out very soon, and the topic on that episode will be something that's uh, pretty important, and that is uh, being pilot-in-command, not just on your checkride, but just being in in command during any flight. But we'll talk a little bit about being pilot-in-command as it applies to your checkride, of course and really what the examiner's looking for. We'll also take some uh, additional questions as well and get those answered from you out there regarding uh, check rides and flight training. So please check back. Thank you again for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Send in those questions and comments if you have any. Love to hear your feedback, not just on this episode, but also those questions that you'd like me to to answer. We'll do our best to put them on the podcast. Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at pilotcheckride.com, Stuart at pilotcheckride.com, or you can just go to my website, pilotcheckride.com as well, get some great information. And uh, just a quick shout out to uh, a friend of mine that helped me with the intro, uh, Peter Radopoulos. If you like the intro, I'd love to hear your your feedback on that as well. But uh, he helped uh, in a huge way put that together. Please follow him on Instagram at peter underscore rhodopoulos that's r-o-d-o-p-o-u-l-o-s peter underscore rhodopoulos on instagram thank you peter for that and hopefully that'll be our uh, intro for a long time to come so keep flying keep training and remember it's not how much total time you have it's the next hour that counts and it all comes together in the flare we'll see you guys next time